When I look at uh, videos and pictures like that, that have happened in our world over this past summer, I'm very tempted to fall into hopelessness and pessimism. And then I read words that Jesus gives us today in his beatitude. And the beatitudes we've been looking at all summer called uh, Kingdom Style, and you can listen to any of them online or on our app. But he talks about one in particular today that often gets overlooked. And we kind of bypass it. We don't look at it necessarily. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I'm challenged when I read this that in spite of the chaos that's going on in the world... That God is still in control and God is not feeling hopeless or pessimistic, but He still has a plan for peace and He's calling every single one of us who is a Christ follower to be a peacemaker. Now, I grew up in a denomination in which part of their theology part of their belief system is that they held up peace very high. It was a historic peace church called the Church of the Brethren. And the church actually had a belief that all war is sin. And so I was indoctrinated from a young child all the way through my youth that we should always, always, always work for Peace, world peace. And I remember going to a uh, church conference when I was a teenager, and they took all the teenagers, without the permission of the parents, by the way, they took all of us to this nuclear weapons production facility, and we got signs that were protesting the peace, and we were like all walking around like this. And... When this was going on, I didn't really know even what we were protesting. I just thought it was cool to have a sign. And in my late teens and my early 20s, I took that theology hook, line, and sinker, and I continued to push, no matter what, that we should have the world peace agenda. But in my mid-twenties, when I became a pastor, and I started looking at all of the leaders of this denomination, what I started to notice is that so many of them were fighting for world peace, but they didn't have any peace in their home. And many of them had gone through divorces, some of them multiple divorces, And there was dysfunction that was happening with their families. And some of their kids who were supposed to be peacemakers were some of the meanest, nastiest, aggressive kids I had ever met before. And it was at that time that there was like this shift that came into my mind that I'm all for world peace... But peace actually begins, if you're ever going to get there, you've got to start with yourself. And you've got to start within your home. So, when you think of that word peace, what comes to your mind? We have multiple generations that are here this morning. And peace means something different for all of us. For some of us, it means treaties. For some of us, we remember the Cold War. And that's it. And for some of us, we remember this whole kind of concept of peace, that there's two countries that are at war with each other and peace comes. 
For others of you, peace means something much more local. It means that, hey, peace comes when there's safety in my schools, safety in the streets, and safety in my neighborhoods. Or maybe for some of you, when you hear the word peace, what comes to mind is your family. And that every time you walked into your house, you had to walk on eggshells. Because you didn't know when the next explosion was going to take place in your home. And so you walked very carefully and you did all you could to keep the peace. And there was just something that was inside of you that said, stuff everything else down. Stuff every feeling that you have. Just stuff it down. And whatever we can do in the family, let's keep the peace. Maybe when you think of peace, you think of all three of those kind of scenarios. Or maybe you think of this picture right here. Peace, dude! And do you notice you don't see his other hand? You know why? Because there's a doobie there that he's smoking. And I know we have a church that is very, very against that. So I wanted to make sure that we didn't put that in there. Some of you are still living in the 70s, aren't you? You have not quite come. Well, since the beginning of the time, since the beginning of time, what people have been asking is, what makes for peace? Peace on earth, peace between countries, peace within our community, peace within our families, peace in my soul. Now, it's interesting The beatitude that we have this morning, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Do you see that it doesn't say, Blessed are the peacekeepers. But what do we hear in every political system that there is when it comes to peace? Let's keep the peace. Let's be peacekeepers. Regardless of your political stance, everyone talks about keeping the peace. Let's keep peace. The peace. But there's a real difference, folks, between being a peacemaker and being a peacekeeper. What do peacekeepers do? They avoid confrontation. And Jesus says, hey, this is not a good thing. And yet, that's what many of us are as we go through our daily lives within our families, within our workplaces. We are peacekeepers. We just avoid the confrontation. We try to keep peace at all costs by saying things like, oh, let's not fight about it. Let's not bring it up. Let's not talk about it. Let's just think that it's going to go away. There's no reason to argue about this. Let's just act like everything is good. I mean, we all know deep down inside that the relationship is not anywhere where it's supposed to be. But I don't want to fight. I don't want to throw everything out on the table. I don't want to talk about the elephants in the room and the obstacles and the difficulty. So let's just be peacekeepers. And Jesus says, no, it's not about peacekeeping. The better choice is about peacemaking. And here's the difference. Peacemakers... Embrace confrontation to make peace. Peacekeepers avoid confrontation. Peacekeepers avoid it. Peacemakers confront it. So Jesus says, Blessed, fortunate, happy are those individuals who work towards peace in a holistic way completeness in every relationship of their life. First of all, with your relationship with God, that you have peace with the one who created you. And secondly, with yourself. And then thirdly, with all the people in your life. Your relationship with your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your enemies. And if you do this, Jesus says you're going to get a reward. Blessed are the peacemakers For they will be called what? Children of the Most High God. That if you work towards this, your reward is you will be called a child of the Creator of the universe. A son, a daughter of the Most High God. But if you choose to be a peacemaker, 
This is what you're called today, and this is your first fill-in. It's our sticky statement for the day, our big idea, and it's this. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you must love without limit. You must love without end. You love without limit, and you love without end. Now, I realize some of you are sitting there right now, and you're like, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. No, no, no. That's crazy talk. That's what that is, Pastor Boy. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said you're to love like that. Because he knows that the reality is that if you follow him, you can actually do this. Because before he came into the world, these words are given to us. Nothing is impossible with God. Before Jesus came as a baby, it was said nothing is impossible with God. And the impossible came. Jesus came to earth so that all of us might be reconciled to him. And the key word, folks, is with. That it is with God. You see, the problem is, for you and me, is that we try to go through our life a lot of times, and we don't go with God. But when you go with God, you learn to love in the midst of pain, you learn to forgive in the midst of evil, you begin to comfort in the midst of agony, and you make peace with brokenness that's in your life. Now, this may be very difficult. In fact, it may be impossible for us to do this at a global scale. You've noticed from the video, I mean, it hasn't worked, this whole peacekeeping kind of process. It doesn't bring the result that we want. But we can do this one-on-one. We can do this person-to-person. We can do this face-to-face. My brother Tim has battled with mental illness and drug addiction for his entire adult life. And there came a time about 20 years ago that because he had fallen back into that trap, that he got mad at the entire family and said he wanted nothing to do with us. And we were kicked out. And now looking back on it, I can know that it was just shame that he felt in his own life. But for seven years, folks, he was estranged from us. No Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no birthday parties, no, hey, I just want you to know I'm alive. For seven years, never knowing whether he was dead or alive. We prayed for him during this time, and we prayed that God would keep him safe. But after a while, my concern for my brother actually turned, and it became this. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I thought to myself, he's the one who's being selfish. He's the one that's causing all the pain in the family. Peace ain't going to happen, and I'm not going to love him without limits, without ends. (laughs) Are you serious? Blessed are the peacemakers with that jerk? No way. So I finally was like, hey, you don't want to be a part of our family? I don't care. Have you ever been there before? I have a feeling right now, if we looked at some of your thoughts, some of you are there today. I haven't talked to my father in years. I don't care. I haven't connected with my mom. She left us, ditched us when I was a teenager. I don't care. My older brother embarrassed the family and stole from our parents. I don't care. My little sister ran ran off with a loser. I don't care. My son, I don't know what it is. I treated all of my kids exactly the same, but he's turned out like this and I don't care. Many of us, we come to a point where our families, we, they get to the point, certain members of our family come to a point where we say to ourselves, I don't care. 
Now, I used to care. I used to care a lot. But I just got tired. And now I don't care. I used to put energy and effort into everything. But now I don't care. I used to become emotionally kind of connected. But it got so complicated. And now when it comes to her or when it comes to him, I don't care. But folks, let me tell you a true statement from my life personally. I can tell you when you start going down that road, you are in a harmful place. You're on a dangerous road, especially when it comes to your family members. Because this is the truth. You were created to care. God created you to care. So when it comes to this whole peacekeeping thing that seems so unrealistic, it's not peacekeeping, it's peacemaking, which is even harder. So when it comes to peacemaking, how do we go about it? And here's your next fill-in. It is to pursue reconciliation. That I choose to pursue reconciliation. You see, reconciliation is just a real big word that says making peace. That's what it means. You make peace. It's taking people who have hurt us, often people in our family, and going from seeing them as enemies to actually seeing them as a friend. So let me give you a statement of truth this morning. It's a true statement. It's a benefit. The benefit of being a peacemaker is you become a child of God. The benefit of being a reconciler is this. It is always more rewarding to restore a relationship than it is to resent it for the rest of your life. Let's all say that out loud together, okay? I'll give you enough time to fill it all in, but let's say this out loud together. It is always more rewarding to restore a relationship than it is to resent it for the rest of your life. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to go back to that crazy spouse of mine that we divorced 10 years ago? Well, if God tells you to, you should, but but no. All I'm saying is restoring a relationship is better than resenting it for the rest of your life. Because if you don't have reconciliation, every time you see the person... Every time that person's name comes up, it's just going to be like a poker of pain. And how many of you ever go to your uh, fireplace, you get the poker out, and you go, Ah! Oh, I think I'll do that again. Woo! 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 You know what that would be? Dumb! But you know what? You do it every single time that you choose not to reconcile. And you know what happens to that poker of pain? For some of us, it's a year, two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty. It's done. I mean, you finally got to get to a point where, you know, like Frozen teaches us a lot. Let it go. Let it go. See, that's, that's the thing about that song. One, I've heard it so many times. I have two small girls. I'm ready to let the song go. You know what I mean? But this thing, people sing that song all the time, but they don't do it in their own life. Now, this is what I'm saying. If you're a Christian, <laughs> you don't have a choice. If you're a follower of Christ, you do not have a choice but to be a peacemaker. It is required of you to pursue reconciliation. Now, I realize that some of you are not Christ followers. You're checking it out. You're learning about it. You're understanding it, but you're not so sure. And it's an option for you. You may not even like Christians. Heck, there's some I don't like, you know. I mean, you got to love them, but you don't have to like them. So... You have a choice, but this, if you're a non-Christian and you're here this morning, this is what I want you to know. I'm talking to Christians today, but this is what I want you to hear. That if 
As I'm talking, what I hope is that you might hear what God has done for you. We're called as Christians to actually do it, but the way we learn that is that God did it for us first. So, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, the reason that you have to pursue reconciliation is in our text today in 2 Corinthians. A guy by the name of Paul wrote it. He wrote close to half of the New Testament. And this is what he says. For Christ's love, what's the next word? What is it? Compels us. The reason you have to be a peacemaker, the reason you have to pursue reconciliation, even if you don't want to, even if the other person, they don't deserve it, even if you don't have the time that you think you should do it, is because Christ's love compels us. It's not your love. For God, it is Christ's love for you. You see, Christ's love for you is uncomfortable for him. How uncomfortable was it? It was so uncomfortable that he went to a cross and he died and he took on all this excruciating pain of uh, crucifixion. So his decision to love you was uncomfortable and now you are required to do something that is going to be uncomfortable for you and what is that it is to pursue reconciliation to make peace with the people you don't want to make peace with why because christ's love for us what's the word again compels us therefore if if anyone is in christ The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If you're a Christ follower, the old revenge, the old retaliation, the old I'm going to get even, that's your old self. Once you come to Christ, everything becomes new, brand new. And you walk differently, you act differently, and you should pursue what Chuck talked about last week. Not only holiness, but a part of holiness is pursuing reconciliation in all of your relationships. Why? Because the highest goal you have in your life, if you're a Christ follower, is to look more and more like Jesus. And this is what it means sometimes. You say no to yourself. And so you fulfill what God is requiring you to do. Verse 18, Paul continues. Now to me, Paul is very difficult. I haven't figured Paul out. If you have, please come and educate me, because I have not. But I'm going to go slow enough that I can get it. So hopefully, those of you that are much smarter than I am, you, you know, help me out a little bit, okay? Verse 18. All of this is from God. What is all of this? In other words, everything was initiated by God. He initiated everything, even to the point of sending His one and only Son to take on all of your sins and die for them. So all of this is from God who, what's the next word? What is it? Yeah, reconciled, there's a word again, our word, us to himself through Christ. Here Paul is saying, you and I, we do not fit with God. It's like when you put a puzzle together and you look at this piece and you're like, it fits right there. I know it fits and you try to put it in there and you push and you push and you try to make it work, but it does not fit. You and I, we don't fit with God. God is holy. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. And we're not. And you and I, we don't fit with God because of all of our sin, all of our failures, all of our mess-ups. We were guilty because He's holy and we've sinned against Him. So we're guilty. We deserve A death penalty, and yet God pursued you and I to be reconciled with Christ by sending His one and only Son to take on all of our sin. We were at odds with God, and so Christ made peace with that relationship. And He made peace by extending His hands on a cross, and it became a bridge from us to God because of what He died. And chose to do it. Let me put it another way. The only obstacle to you being reconciled with God is you. The only obstacle 
to you being reconciled with God is you. Now that, folks, is a very, very powerful thought. That when God looked at you with all of your flub-ups, all of your mess-ups, all of your screw-ups, he said, I'm still going to pursue you. For instance, if God was on, you know, like one of these dating websites and your picture was up there, you would look at it and go, no way. That looks like a weird person that's on Match.com or eHarmony or whatever. And this is what God said. Put all of their profiles on there. Not what they're trying to tell you what they think they are or they're lying. He said, just put them all on there. And he said, I'll take them all. I'll take them all. God pursued you even when you were not pursuable. Through sending Jesus, he initiated this whole process and he removed every obstacle. All the obstacles are way. In other words, he didn't do what you and I do. If you're single this morning, you know that sometimes you've gone on one of those dating websites and you look at, hopefully if you're married, you haven't, but you know, hey, many of us have gone on there and you've looked at this and all of a sudden you're like, uh, stranger danger, you know, like, get away. This looks way too good to be true. And God did for us what you and I did do. He, he accepted all of us. But when we are not reconciled with someone in our family, this is what we say. You come halfway, I'll come halfway. You say one thing you did wrong, I'll say one thing I did wrong. You say sorry first, and then I'll say sorry. You move directionally toward me first, then I'll move to you. But I will not move to you first. And Paul tells us that is exactly, exactly the opposite of what your heavenly Father did for you through Christ. He pursued you even when you were not pursuable. He removed every obstacle. He wanted to make sure you had no excuse not to be reconciled with him except one decision, and that decision is for you to say yes to God. And today we're having a baptism class right after this celebration. And for some of you who haven't been baptized, it's your opportunity to say yes to God. It's your opportunity to make a commitment to say, I'm in. I'm all in. And there's no obstacle in the way. There's no NFL football until 8 o'clock tonight. When the Colts will redeem ourselves, you know. But there's nothing, you know, lunch is provided, child care is provided. Everything is there. And baptism, folks, isn't a step that, hey, I got my act all together and now I'll get baptized. Baptism is saying, man, I don't have my act together, but I trust God enough that, God, I'm giving my life to you and I want you to be first place and I want to say yes to you. Okay, now back to our clincher verse. This is what Paul says. And he gave us the ministry of, what was it again? Reconciliation. In other words, if you're a Christ follower, your life, everything in your life, how you spend your money, how you use your time, everything in your life, not just in words, but how you act, is a message where you're telling to the people around you, did you know you can be reconciled with God? Did you know you can be reconciled with God? Did you know you could be reconciled with God? Did you know you could be reconciled with God? Did you know you could be reconciled with God? He continues, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And that's our message. You don't have to be pastor boy up here going, well, before I could ever say that, I'd have to be pastor boy to tell people. No, 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 no. You could say that message Anytime, anywhere. You don't even have to use the word reconciliation. You simply go to people and go, do you know you could make peace with God, the one who created you today? You could have reconciliation. The good news is that God has removed everything from your life and there's no obstacles in the way at all except one thing that you have to do. You simply have to say yes. He set the table, he opened the door, he sent the invitation. It's up 
to you to simply say yes. He removed all of your sin. He cleared away your past, your bad attitudes, your bad motives. And he has entered into a place where he will even pay for your future sins. He's done everything to reconcile with you. And he's now just waiting for you to say yes. And it gets even better. Look at what it says next. Now, counting people's sins, what did it say? Not. Not now. That's what we do. Now, I'm going to count your sins against you because you messed up. No, no. This is what Christ did. He said, not counting people's sins against them. Folks, God has reconciled you from all of your past sins. All of your present sins. And check this out. All of your future sins. Everything that you can think about. He's not counting them against you. That's good news. And he continues on. And he has committed us to the message of. What's the word again? Reconciliation. And then he makes it very clear. Because he wants us to get it. He says this. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, he's saying everyone who is a Christ follower, your lifestyle, the way you act, the way you walk around, you can be reconciled with God. That's your message. You walk through the day. You can be reconciled with God. You can be reconciled with God. You can be reconciled with God. I know what you did. I know what you said. Guess what? You can be reconciled with God. I know your past. I know how ugly your past is. You can be reconciled with God. I know you're a terrible father, but guess what? You can be reconciled with God. I know you're a negligent mom, but guess what? You can be reconciled with God. I know that you lied to your parents, but guess what? You can be reconciled with God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be reconciled. With God. Well, after a few years of not being concerned about my brother Tim at all, of being, I don't care, I finally kind of moved to at least praying that God would do whatever it takes to bring him back to our family. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because one day I got a phone call from my dad and said, I heard from Tim. I was like, oh, great. He's like, he was in a car accident. They don't know whether he's going to live or die. And what had happened was, he was in his carpet cleaning van. He was going down a road. A teenage kid was coming the other way. It was on a country road where the sun was on his side. It blinded him. He was sleepy. And he went head into my brother. And that young kid died. And this is what hit me in that moment. That could have been my brother. That could have been Tim. And I remember sitting beside his hospital bed, and as we were there, it was like the first time, seven years, folks. Seven years. And the first time that I had actually physically got to, this was before cell phones. This was before texting and when you could stay in contact with people even when they don't want you to stay in contact with them. And he's right there. And for he and I, our relationship began to get reconciled. And things turned around for him. And my parents and Jennifer and I, we we realized he had struggled with drug abuse, so we paid uh, money to have him go down to a treatment center in southern Indiana And he did that, but finally they said, that's not the issue. We think he has some schizophrenia that he's struggling with. So we got him connected to a mental hospital. And for a period of time, it wasn't perfect, but it was as good as it could get in that situation. And things were going pretty well. And he actually even came to church a few times. He sat here. One Christmas, he showed up. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Now, isn't that a real good thing for a pastor to say? Dude, what are you doing? It's my own family. And he's like, it's Christmas. I'm like, okay. And so things were kind of looking up. 
But you know, the demons of addiction and the demons of mental illness don't just go away overnight. And before long, he started getting back into that old same lifestyle affecting him. He started telling lies about my mom. He got arrested. He got put in prison. And once again, he's walked away from our family. And he's been estranged for our family for two years. And doing, during these two years, I've had a choice. I care. I don't care. I'm going to be a peacekeeper or I'm going to be a peacemaker. And one day I was reading a book by Heidi Baker called Compelled to Love. And Heidi's this missionary in Mozambique, Africa. And she has been close to death several times. Illness, but also the political system in Mozambique trying to take her out in the ministry that she has. She's gone days without water and food at times. And this is why. Because she cares for thousands and thousands of orphan kids. Little babies that are born and then thrown into latrines. Mama Heidi comes and she scoops them up and she brings them into their orphanage. And the kids that she can't save, this is what typically happens to them in her world. They eventually get pimped out eight, nine, ten-year-old girls and boys. That are prostituted. And nobody cares. The world doesn't care. But thank God for some Christians who are in that area that say we will care. And she takes these unwanted kids. Nobody wants them. These children who are hurting and starving and broken and lost. And she's the one who looks in their eyes and says, no matter what they've done, you love without limits. And you love without end. And after I read that book, I made a conscious decision. No matter what is done, no matter what is said, no matter what my brother does or doesn't do, I will love my brother without limit and without end. And it was kind of weird when I was reading this book. All of a sudden there was a song that came to me from our wedding. It was from Heavy D and the Boys. Now that we found love, What are we going to do with it? I told you I'm messed up. You know, like, I'm sure God's like, this is the only way I can get to you, so I'm going to give you this song. Now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? You know? And so this is in my head. And this is what came to me. Chris, I freely love you. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can say that will make me love you any more or any less. He just loves me as is. And He's reconciled me. All the mess that I am, He has reconciled me. And He asked me this question. Now that you know what love is, what are you going to do with it? Now that I've received his love, what am I going to do with it? And going through pain and grief and being tired is not reason enough to be able to say, I don't care, I don't care, I just don't care. Because the truth is, folks, you and I were created to care. Now I realize there are objections that many of you are going through your Rolodex right now in your head. Going, yeah, 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 but you don't, you like take your brother, multiply that times a thousand, that's what I'm dealing with. Here's some of the complications, some of the objections. The first one is this, it's just too complicated. Chris, it's just too complicated, it will take way too much energy, I can't do this. And I mean, there are so many issues, there are so many elephants in the rooms, and now, 
Hear me. Reconciliation is not about getting all the issues resolved. It's not about working through the issues. Reconciliation is not, now, I just want to make sure that you understand me. That if you just understand me, let's put everything on the table, let's sift through all of it and work on it. That is not what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is not condemning or coercing or controlling. Reconciliation is not about any of that. Reconciliation is exactly what God did for us. He set the table, he opened the door, and he sent the invitation. And the key to reconciliation and peacemaking is simply that. You set the table, you open the door, and you send the invitation. You don't have to talk about all of the complications and issues from the past. Everybody already knows that. But this is what I've learned in these past two years with my brother. Reconciliation can be simply sending a text to let him know that even though he may not want us around him, we still want him. And whether he responds or not, it really doesn't matter. And this is the thing. I never ask you guys to do anything that I wouldn't do. And 20 years ago, when he left for seven years, we didn't have texting. But guess what? We've got it now. And I send them regularly. And this Tuesday, this is what I sent to him. Hey, bro, was just thinking about you today. And the girls were asking about you because the truth is my girls think that he is my uncle who died seven years ago because they've had little to no contact with him. We were at, they were asking about you, so I thought I would just send a picture of us and say we love and miss you. And guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing. I had a lady I felt so bad for in first celebration. I go, guess what happened? She's like, Tim wrote to you. And I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> in fact, if you want to know what the truth is, he thought I was somebody else. And he's like... I don't know who this is, but, you know, I can't get the picture down and everything. So then I said, hey, it's your brother. Just wanted... Eh. I don't know where he lives, but, but I have a phone number. Now, Chris, are you telling me that my issue with my person... That I have to ignore this. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Well, I just don't know if I can do that. Um, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and for me. God is like, I just want you to send a picture. I just want you to send a nice text. I just want you to give somebody an update. He wants us to reach out. He's not asking for you to die for your father or die for your mother or die for your brother or your sister. He's just asking you to send something. He's not even asking you to trust them at the same level again. That would be dumb for you to trust them at the same level. He's just asking you to set the table, open the door, send the invitation. See, reconciliation, folks, is not about rehearsing all of the past and getting everybody on the same page and dealing with all of the elephants in the room. Now, here's another objection. I don't want to condone their lifestyle. That's what happens with Christ followers. Well, I'm a follower of Christ. I don't want to condone their lifestyle. Because... You see my dad, she married this woman, and my mom calls her a name that is not very nice to say in church. And when my mom even thinks about that woman, and that word is not Beulah, it's something else. But when she says that, it is not good. And if I start going over to my dad's house and I start doing this, whatever her name is, you fill in the blank, it's not going to look good, and I'll be condoning the relationship. Chris, if I start hanging out with my mom... She's with this guy, and if I start reaching out to my brother, it's going to look like I'm condoning the behavior. Folks, this is what I want you to get. If people start putting you down because you're condoning someone's life, 
because you're trying to fight for reconciliation, you know why you know who you're being like? Jesus. Everyone was like, he's with the prostitutes, he's with the drunkards, he's with the... Look, he's condoning their behavior. No, he wasn't condoning their behavior. He was loving them without end. He was loving them without limits. Folks, while you were still sinning, think about this. You weren't even an apple in anyone's eyes except God's. But 2,000 years ago, he knew you were going to mess up this week sometime. And he's like, I'll take it on. And he didn't condone your sin. He just moved into your life. And then one more objection. It's not going to work. Chris, believe me, it's just not going to work. I don't care how many letters I send, how many texts I send, no matter what I do, it's not going to work. So what? So what? It's going to work on you. It's going to work on you. You see, that's the thing with reconciliation, that sometimes it may not change any of the circumstances or change the relationship, but it'll change you. Folks, over the last two years, Tim has responded very rarely, if at often at all, but I just keep on doing it. He's not moving in my direction. He's, he's not sending me any pictures. But let me tell you why. In the past two years, this is what I've noticed. My nonstop decision to care for him, no matter what. You know what it's done with the other relationships in my life? When they get tangled up, I'm all about reconciliation. I'm all about peacemaking. God has gotten a lot out of me in the last two years in these areas, and he's grown me a lot because I've made that decision. So when reconciliation is not working and there are elephants in the room and it seems like nothing's going to get resolved, guess what? God is still working inside of you. Attempts at reconciliation, they always work in someone. And maybe in this particular relationship that you have, or you might have, it might just be working on you. So who in your family are you tempted to say, you know what, I'm writing them off. I'm writing them off. Maybe I should care, but I don't care. Folks, if you are a Christ follower, you were created to care. You were created to love without end, to love without limits. You were created to be a peacemaker. Because your responsibility is to do toward them what your heavenly Father has done toward you. And you know why? I told you. Because Christ's love, what's the word? Compels us. Not their behavior, not the way that they act, not even that they deserve any of this, but Christ's love compels us. You set the table, you open the door, you send the invitation. To do everything in your power to be a peacemaker. To make reconciliation possible. So, here's how we're going to close today. It's going to be kind of awkward. But I have a feeling that this entire teaching has been awkward. (laughs) Most of my things are awkward, so. Today, maybe you're sitting there, and if you were honest... You would have to say, you know what, Chris? I've got one of those relationships in my family right now. Honestly, if I'm honest, I've written them off. And every once in a while, even my husband or my wife or my kids, they'll come up to me. They'll be like, why don't you reach out to uncle so-and-so? Or why don't you reach out to aunt so-and-so? Or why don't you do this? And even other people in my life come to me and they're like, hey, why don't you just crack open the door to that relationship? I think you should maybe give them an opportunity. And anytime it comes up, especially on a teaching like today, I just start to rehearse, though, all the pain and all the stuff that they've done in my life. And I think to myself, that door is closed, that door is closed. And then I start yelling and I'm like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And someone's around you and they're like, why are you yelling? And you're like, I don't know. And there are limits and there's an end to your love. 
even though there was no limit and there was no end to Christ's love for you. And so in a moment, if you have one of those relationships in your life, I'm going to invite you to simply stand. Because this is what I know about you. That many of you are ready to get out of here now. And when you get out of here, you're going to go to the parking lot. You're going to get in your car. And guess what? Nothing will have changed. Nothing at all. And when you get in your car, you'll start it and you'll go, Whoo! Glad that's over. But in this moment, if you're convinced that your next step is that you simply need to maybe write a letter or send a text or make a phone call, it's a very bold step. And God is proud of you. And we, as a church family, we're very, very proud of you. And it may not be anything that changes in that person's life or in the relationship. But we, as a group, want to cheer for you for taking such a bold step. So right now, if you're sitting there and you go, I've got one of those. I've got one of those relationships in my life. I simply want you to stand. Just right where you're at, wherever you're at. If you have one of those, I just want you to stand. Isn't that awesome? Let's give these folks hands. Isn't that awesome? It's great. It's great. Now I'm going to invite everyone else to stand. And uh, we're going to close in prayer. Remember, the baptism class is right after this. You'll be out of here by 1.15, but it could change your life. There's no obstacles. Child care, lunch, it's provided. But I want to pray for all of us right now before we head out. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much for the courage of these people who chose to stand this morning. And for those of us who are Christ followers, God, we really do just want to say thank you for choosing to reconcile our sinful selves to you. When we were running from you, when we didn't know you, when we made fun of you, when we made fun of other Christians, when you were our enemy, you loved us anyways. And you never closed the door. You never took back the invitation. You loved us without limit. You loved us without end. Heavenly Father, we want to live with the type of courage and wisdom with what we have heard this morning. And I pray that in many cases in this place of people who stood to take a step, God, I pray that you would bring reconciliation to those relationships. But even if it doesn't happen, God, I pray that it would work in us as we seek to be peacemakers. Because we know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, these folks would love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody. Know you're loved in this place.